Amen, amen. Good morning, church. Man, great to be uh, together this morning as we worship and lift high uh, the name of Jesus. And may uh, His name be the name that is above every other name. And we uh, come this morning and uh, want to share a message titled, Forgiveness is fueled by the greater story of grace. And we're going to look this morning again in the life of Joseph. We're uh, walking through these uh, chapters uh, in the latter part of Genesis, and uh, we're going to kind of go on a jet tour through a few of those uh, this morning and and just look at uh, this story. If you're watching with us online, we're so grateful that you have joined us uh, and we would love for you, uh, if you're here or online, just to share uh, this on our social media channels and, and just allow uh, the message uh, of the gospel to go forth. And we appreciate those of you that, uh, that do that and just the, uh, the gratefulness that we have for you uh, just being part of uh, what God's doing here. Uh, we, are, we are truly uh, blessed by you, thankful for uh, both of our, our worship teams that have been kind of alternating uh, week to week as we have been worshiping together and uh, just the, the blessing that they are. Thankful for those that serve in our technology ministry and just uh, allow this message to go out. Uh, just an incredible blessing to me. And, you know, I read this story of a little boy who was visiting his grandparents and he uh, was there and he was given his first slingshot. I can remember when I was given my first slingshot, I, I pulled it back and I shot my uncle's uh, car on my very first shot. And so here's this little boy. Something happens every time uh, I think that you get your first slingshot. And so here's this little boy. He's been given his first slingshot. He's visiting grandma and grandpa, and, and he's been practicing in the woods, and he's pulling that thing back. I kind of picture it as one of those little wrist rocket uh, slingshots, and he's pulling that thing back, and he just can't hit his target. He is struggling uh, like crazy just to, to, to get even close. And so as he comes back in, he's, he's not able to do very much, but as he comes back in uh, the backyard, he spies his grandma's pet duck, right? And he sees this pet duck, and, and he on just an impulse in that moment, he, he takes aim and he rears back and he lets it fly, right? Let's the stone fly, and, and the next thing that happens is the duck fell dead, right? He hits just perfect, and he's in panic mode right then. This is not a good moment. I remember when I shot my uncle's car, I ran as far and as fast as I could because he was a big guy, and I experienced forgiveness that day. I experienced grace. It was beautiful, but this little boy panicked, and he didn't know what to do, so he takes this duck, and he hides it in the wood pile, right? And, and he only uh, gets it hidden to look up, and he sees that his sister has been watching this whole thing take place. And she stayed quiet. And some of, some of you sisters and brothers know how this is going to work out. Little Sally had seen it all, but she had said nothing, right? And so later that day, it gets they, they go and they eat their, their lunch. And after lunch, Grandma says, Sally, will you come help me with the dishes? And little Sally says, well, Grandma, actually, Johnny really, really said he wanted to help with the dishes uh, today, didn't you, Johnny? And little Johnny uh, he kind of looks at her, and she whispers real closely in his ear, and she says, remember the duck 
little Johnny goes and he does the dishes and later grandpa says hey kids you guys want to go fishing and grandma says hey I need uh, Sally to help me uh, to make supper and Sally just kind of grinned and said oh uh, grandpa that's all taken care of little Johnny uh, he, he wants to do that and she looks at little Johnny and whispers and says remember the duck Sally goes fishing and Johnny stays home and this goes on for several days and after several days of Johnny doing both his chores, doing Sally's chores, he's had all he can do. And so with just a heart of repentance, he comes and he looks at his grandmother and he says, I need to tell you something. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, I got that new slingshot and I read back and he said, I didn't really think I'd hit it, but I was aiming for it and I hit the duck. And the grandma looks at him and she says, oh, Johnny. I know, and she gives him a big hug, and she says, I was looking through the window, and I, I saw this happen uh, right as it went down. She said, and, and because I love you, I forgive you, and I forgave you. And then she said something to him. She said, but I wondered how long you would let Sally make you a slave. And this illustration gives us a really neat picture of how sin enslaves us and how forgiveness frees. I've heard it said that forgiveness is the key to freedom. That unforgiveness makes a slave out of a person, and that person is you. Lewis Smedes wrote a book on forgiveness, and in that book he says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner was you. And I wonder as we worship together this morning, what if there was one thing, what if there was one thing that might be in the lives of many people who profess to follow Christ that might be hindering their walk with Christ? Dale Moody said there's one sin, one failure that's doing more to hold back the power of God in revival in the lives and hearts of Christians than any other sin. And he said that sin was the sin of an unforgiving spirit. Now, you know, in this time, we've been looking at the life of Joseph, and we declared from the beginning that we're in a time where we miss normal. This is not normal for us to be gathered outside uh, this morning. It's not normal uh, to see all the things that are taking place uh, in, in, in these seasons of, of quarantine and times that we've moved and all these things that are going on. But we said that in the midst of this normal that we look back to, there are some things about normal that we don't want to go back to. There are some things that we want to make sure that the normal that we declare is a normal that's healed, a normal that's whole, a normal that is different. And, and I just want to say that the normal thing that we see in our culture is for people to hold a grudge. The normal thing is to look and say, you know what, I can't wait till I can get them back. But the grace that we experience as Jesus followers is anything but normal. And the grace that Jesus followers are called to extend is anything but normal. Now, it's easy to fall in this trap. I want to I want you to think just a moment. Are, are you the kind of person maybe that has a secret list, that, that maybe you remember things that you'd be better off to forget? 
How do we respond? How do I respond? I want you to think about that question. How do I respond when someone has done wrong to me? Do I allow the Spirit of God, through the grace of God, to erase that offense? Do I cling to that grudge? Do I secretly just look for that time and that opportunity to see that somehow justice has been served to them? Maybe you're here and it was a family member that hurt you. Maybe you say, you know what, I, I, I want to forgive. I want to be free from those kind of things. But you have no idea what they have done to me. And the truth is that the closer the connection, the deeper the hurt. And some of you might say, you know what, my, deep, my hurt is deep. And in the story of Joseph, we see that God's grace can take a hurt from the past, that he can bring healing in the present, and he can use it for his glory in the future. See, in Christ, our hurts can be healed. Can we declare this morning that he is the hurt healer, that, that we have wounds, and, and that every person here has experienced brokenness from the past, but, but our hurt from the past can become healed up scars in the present. And there's something that I've noticed uh, about a scar. A scar generally fades over time, and there's a moment where this wound is so strong and this pain is so present. But as healing takes place, as healing takes place, something beautiful happens and the pain begins to diminish. I've seen so many times where hurt in the past has been healed by the Savior and in the midst of the present, the person that's been hurt has been able to extend grace and to demonstrate the power of the gospel in ways that are incredible. Now, as we walk through the Scripture, we see that the heart of our Father is reconciliation, that the heart of our Father is a reconciling love that we see in the story of Joseph, one of the most beautiful pictures of God's grace and his love. We see in the story of Joseph, one of the most beautiful pictures of forgiveness and reconciliation in all the scriptures. And can we just agree this morning that the world is desperate? You know, as Clark was praying and as as I look around in our community, in our world, and the, the times that I turn on the television, can we disagree that we are in a desperate time where the world is desperate to see the reconciling power of the gospel in the lives of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in maybe a greater way than ever before? And Jesus declares that the most powerful witness to a watching world is the love that we have for one another, that the reconciling power of the gospel. Man, it is the most beautiful declaration. It is an incredible picture of the love of Christ. And we are walking through a divided time. We are walking in the midst of so much coming at us, right? Everywhere you turn, there is information that is coming at us, and, and that information stirs emotion within us, and we see things, and in, in, in reality, at times, we don't even know what to say. We don't really know what to do in the midst of those moments. We see injustice. We see hurt. We see 
responses that are in evil. We see so many things, and we wonder, we say, you know what, what do we say, and, and how do I keep from saying the wrong thing? Because it seems like everybody that says anything, somebody thinks that it is the wrong thing. And and we see those kind of things all around our society. And, you know, and this week we were reading through the book of Romans, and I believe on Thursday I was reading Romans chapter 12. And I want to read a few verses to you before we dig in and look at Joseph's life. But beginning in verse 9, Scripture says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. But we can rejoice in hope. We're persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I read those first couple of verses, and what an incredible passage of Scripture. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. That's what our church really says that we are about, right? That we are a church that loves God, that loves people, and that puts love in action. And when love is without hypocrisy, it means that not only do we say things, but do we do things. And there is a response in our actions that communicates the truth that is on our lips. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We see these kind of things, and we we read these things, and in that first verse, he says, hold on to what is good and hate what is evil. Can I just remind you this morning that those two things are not polarized against one another, as the, and our culture right now would declare that those two things can't exist, that, that if you hate what is evil, that you can't cling to something else on the other side that may be Good. And these things, we live in the midst of a toxic culture and a culture that says, you know what, if you make this statement, then you're saying this and you associate with this group of people. And if you make this statement, then you're saying something else and you associate with another group of people. And many of these people and these things that are associated with that have a completely different agenda than the words that we're saying. And I want to encourage you this morning that we as followers of Jesus Christ, that we are to have a kingdom agenda, a kingdom agenda that says, you know what, we're going to hate what is evil. We're going to hold on to those things that are good. And we are going to love people. We can hate racism. We we as followers of Jesus Christ must hate racism. And we must be people that would declare and be bold in the way that we declare our love toward our brother and the hatred that we have toward racism. We are to hate what is evil, to abhor those kind of things. But we are also able to hold up that which is good. We can hate racism and we can also hold up our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in law enforcement. We have so many people in our church that serve in such a beautiful way in 
those areas. And I want to tell you something. In the gospel, we can do both. We can hate what is evil, and we can cling to what is good, and we can declare those things. And we can rejoice in hope, knowing that there is a future, and there is a time coming where every tribe and every nation, where every uh, people will worship around the throne, right? Where there will be a time where we see true peace. And we've got to be a people that hate evil, that love good, but people that are careful about getting on all kinds of agendas, but that declare that our allegiance and our agenda is a kingdom agenda, one that declares that the gospel is the only reconciler in this world, that what we have is a sin problem. And the only hope that we have is not uh, some sort of worldview that is being uh, pumped in in the midst of these moments that is contrary to what the Scripture says, but a hope that is declared in the gospel, a hope that says as we love others, as Christ loved us, as we live our lives on mission for the glory of His name, loving one another, seeking to outdo one another, showing honor. We serve a risen King, and we have a kingdom agenda, an agenda that that leads to that place of reconciliation where every tribe and every nation will rejoice and worship around the throne, and we are to progress that kingdom here. We're going to see in the story of Joseph that there's a couple of powerful things that are at work. We're going to see God is stirring at the conscience of his people. We're going to see that God is working to bring sinful, erring children, right? We're going to see that he is working to bring them, even when they have done wrong and even when they have done great wrong, back into his presence and himself. We're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 42 beginning in verse 1, and we're going to look at just this beautiful picture. Scripture says this, Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? He says, We're starving. And sometimes it takes a famine. Sometimes it takes a, a, a difficult spot in our lives to get our attention. Many of us could say, You know what? I've experienced those moments like that. And no doubt this family is having to ration goods, that this family is having to uh, uh, ration their food. They may be losing livestock. There was these moments where the times had gotten desperate. And so Jacob sends everyone but Benjamin. He sends everyone but Benjamin. And immediately it brings us to the story of Joseph right there. Uh, he, he, we remember that Benjamin was the other son of Rachel, right? That was the son that, that Rachel died giving birth to. And Jacob says, I cannot lose him too. And he sends everyone but Benjamin. And there are caravans. I can picture the whole world is coming for food. There's famine in all the land. And as we read this, there are caravans of people that are there in this moment to buy grain. And Scripture says that Joseph, in verse 6, was the ruler over the land. He was the one that sold to the people of the land. And we see this, this dream that Joseph had fulfilled in these verses, and it says that Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces in the ground. The scripture goes on, and he says that that he recognized them, and in the original language, it says he recognized them, but he made himself unrecognizable. So Joseph sees them gather in. He sees this that his brothers gather in, and as they come and they bow before him, he recognizes them, but he keeps his identity from 
them. Now, can you imagine the emotion that he must have felt in this moment? Can you imagine the depth of pain and the depth of all these moments are coming together? These people that have wronged him so deeply, that had hated him so much. Now, his dream is true, and they're bowing before him, and he is in a place of authority. He is in a place of control. He is in a place that he could really decide their future. And we see him, he speaks roughly to them, and you remember they, his brothers couldn't speak a kind word to him, we read in the Scriptures, and, and he speaks roughly to him, and he says, you are spies. He says, I know you're not who you say you are. He said, you're spies, and they respond and say in verse 11, they say, we are sons of one man. That's true. And he says, we are honest men. I'm sure Joseph liked that part. <laughs> I'm sure he's thinking, oh, yeah, y'all are the honestest people I've ever seen. We are sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. There's another true statement. They, they got part of it, right? He said, your servants are 12 brothers and, and one... So there's 10 of them there. There's one that's not here. And then he says there's one who is not. There's one who has died. There's one who is not. Now, Joseph's going to test them. Joseph is going to figure out a bit about who they are. And in verse 19, he says, If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words may be verified and you will not die. And they did so. And they said to one another, truly, we are guilty concerning our brother. They're seeing these things take place in the difficult times that they are in. And they say, truly, we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul. Can you imagine the thoughts that are coming back to their mind in these moments as they say, you know what, we're guilty of what we've done to our brother. Do you remember when he was crying out for help? Do you remember when he was in those moments when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen? Therefore, distress has come upon us. So this is happening because of that. And Reuben answered them saying, I told you so. He said, did I not tell you? Do not sin against that boy and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. Now, their sin and the guilt that it brought, it had not gone away. Their sin and the guilt was very fresh in these moments, and God was bringing it fresh, right? We see he was working uh, to convict them, and Joseph could understand what they were saying. He could hear these things, but he had not let on. You know, I, I always, like, I really need to learn another language because I, I think I would enjoy that. I don't know if you ever ever are around people and, and you, I, I can remember when we were on mission in Clarkston and as we're going house to house and we're inviting these kids and there's people that are speaking languages from literally all over the world and we would go up to the house and the only people that could understand anything you were talking about was like a five-year-old kid. And so you go up to the kid and you're like, hey, we're from uh, the church down the road and, and we're good people and we have candy and we have... Um, games and we have all these things can you see if you'll be able to go and then all of a sudden there's this big conversation that takes place and I have no idea what's going on right and and we say if you can have your parents sign this paper right that says you can go with us and we'll take good care of you and all those kind of things and I'm sure the kids are going back and they're saying something completely different probably than what we uh, had even said they're probably like oh yeah they're Muslims it's good mom <laughs> I don't know there's no telling what some of these kids 
are saying in these moments, right, in order to be able to go uh, with us when we've told them about all the, the, the good things that they're going to hear about in our Lord. But I always wondered, like, what are they saying? Well, this is that kind of moment. And Joseph could understand, though, what they were saying, but he was using a translator to speak with them, and he's doing things so that they have no idea about what he's saying. And Joseph is testing them, right? He wants to know who they are because Joseph knows there's been a lot that's changed in his life, right? There's been a lot that has changed in his life. And Pastor Chris last week was wearing the, the, the kindness around, and he did such a great job last week. Appreciate him so much and just knocked it out of the park with this, this reality that we're to wear kindness, right? That we're to wear kindness and truth. And, and the truth is that, as he shared last week, we don't get to choose our circumstances many times. There are a lot of things that happen in the midst of life, but we can choose kindness. We can choose truth, and we can choose character. And we see Joseph, and in all of his story, we see that he chose character over compromise. And can I tell you something, young people that are, are here listening, it, I cannot stress how important character is. It's something that we work a lifetime to develop, right? When we're looking for a spouse or when we're looking for, uh, maybe we're, we're a person that owns a business and we're looking for an employee, we're looking for all those kind of things, the kind of things that we need to be looking for is character above all these other things. Sometimes we look for skill and sometimes we look for good looks and we, we find out that football players become fat and sleek. Um, it just happens, right? Those things a lot of the things that we look at as culture, we, uh, w- those things don't last. And he is testing their character, and he's going to demonstrate his in the midst of these circumstances. You know, Jerry York always uh, says that he has chosen to be better instead of bitter. He was sharing with me as he was going back for some cancer checkups, and they had found numbers that were, were different, doing biopsies, different things. And he, he made that statement. Again, And I'm reminded that Joseph had chosen to allow his circumstances to make him better instead of bitter. Because the truth is, when people have done wrong things to us, we have the ability and the natural response many times is to allow that to cause us to be bitter. And it can be like a poison that is eating us from the inside out. Joseph, he had suffered in prison. He had been sold into slavery. He had been accused uh, falsely. All these things had happened to him. But in the midst of those moments, he had seen God's grace at work in his life. And as an overflow of that grace, Joseph extended grace. He was a man that, that we see is appointed by God to save Israel, right, including his own family. Chapter 42 through verse or through 45 really share this incredible turn of events. All these things that take place, and I hope that you will take time uh, just to read each of those chapters in their entirety. We see these tests and these things that are taking place as Joseph really uh, just works in their lives. And at the end of chapter 44, we hear uh, Judah's plea, right? We hear uh, Judah really just, just sharing his heart and his love for his family, his love for his father, these different things that we see. And he hears Judah's plea in these moments. And the scripture says that Joseph can't take anymore. He says that he has heard all these things. It says that Joseph could not control himself. In verse 1 of chapter 45, 
says he could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone go out from me. So that there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. The household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph says something to his brothers. And there's this climactic moment. There's this point, this, this place in the midst of this passage where all that we've read about, where we think about his brothers putting him in the pit, when he, we think about them selling him into slavery, we think about all the suffering that has taken place. There are these, this moment in the scriptures, and that wouldn't you like to have been there in this moment? When Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, I am Joseph. Can you imagine in that moment where he's disguised himself from them this whole time and he has heard their pleas, he's heard them speak from one another, he has spoke to them through a translator, he's done all these things and he speaks in their language and he says, I am Joseph. And I can imagine the feeling that would have come over these brothers in that moment and immediately he says, is my father still alive. And we're going to see just how that all transpires in the coming weeks. But Scripture says that his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. I want you to look at what Joseph does in these moments. I want you to think about all the wrong that's ever been done to you, all the things that had come against Joseph, all the, the years that had been gone, the, the time, right, that we, we read that he was 17 years old at the beginning of this uh, this time that we had began to, to speak about him and, and to read about him as the scriptures talked about him. And we see here he is, 30 years old. 13 years have passed in these moments. And Joseph says to his brothers, please, come closer to me. He pulls them in and he says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, he didn't let them off the hook in that moment for what they had done. He didn't say, hey, I'm your brothers. He said, who you sold into Egypt. Then he says something that's incredible. He says, now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. This is a Romans 8.28 kind of verse in the Old Testament. This is one of those verses that says that we know that God works all things together for good, for those that love him and those who are called according to his purpose, that we have sung and declared throughout this series, and we have declared week after week that we know that God is working, even when we can't see it, that He is working. And this is the kind of verse that says, even through the suffering and even through the pain and even through hard times, I know God was working for something even greater. And Joseph was declaring that he had forgiven his brothers, right? He was declaring to them. He says, listen, he says, you don't have to beat up yourselves either. I love this part. He says, he says, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. That's the natural response, right, in these moments to, to, to rehash all those kind of things. But Joseph is declaring that he's forgiven his, his brothers, that they don't have to fear retaliation from him. And, and they're not to be angry with themselves. They're not to do those kind of things. They're not to blame one another. They're not to say, I told you so. I was trying to do this. I was trying to do that. And he said, you know what? I have forgiven you completely and fully. And there's something beautiful when we think about being forgiven completely and fully. And when we think about the forgiveness that Joseph extends in 
this chapter, the, when we think about what's going on in this, it, it reminded me that this forgiveness is fueled by a greater story of grace because that's what they're seeing right here. They're knowing that, and Joseph is seeing all the things that have been taking place, and there's a greater story of grace that's been going on in the midst of his life, and he's seeing what God was doing through all of these negative things, and he says, you know what, there's a greater story, and because of this greater story and the work that God is doing through all of this, I'm able to forgive, and it is different. And we know that God is working, and we know what's going on as followers of Jesus Christ, as we've been called to be ambassadors for Christ, citizens of the kingdom of God on mission for the glory of his name, that we would be making an appeal to other people to be reconciled to our great and mighty God through the cross and the finished work of Jesus Christ. We know what is going on. We know what is happening. The word of God reveals the will of God, and it strengthens believers as we walk Walk in his will. See, normal is giving it back to those people that have taken advantage of us. Normal is doing those kind of things. Normal is for Joseph to say, how do you like me now? I'm in charge. What are you going to do now? You're going to experience the wrath that you've poured out to me. You're going to experience what is just to you. But grace is something completely different. God is working in the midst of this amazing plan. And he and through, through his servant, Joseph extends mercy and kindness. He was in the position to get him back, but he extends grace. And in light of the cross, we are to extend grace. Some of you may have heard the statement that I made at the very beginning when we said, you know what, it may be family hurt. It may be deep hurt that is there. And people say, you know what, you have no idea what people have done to me. And you are right, and I'm so sorry for the things that may have happened to many people that are under the sound of my voice, that are watching online, things that have been horrible and hurtful. You're correct. We do not know what they have done to you. And I can't imagine what people experience, and I hear sometimes what horrible things have happened in people's past. But I want to tell you that even though the Scriptures give an account of it, we have no idea what they did to Jesus, what our Savior went through on the cross of Christ in my place. Innocent and undeserving. We must remember what they have done. To Jesus, We must remember the cost of our salvation and the cost of our forgiveness. Romans 12 says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Verse 21 says, Do not be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I want to tell you something. When we extend grace in the midst of our lives, God is glorified. And Joseph brings great glory to God as he extends grace. Amazing grace to his brothers. Grace that is beyond what maybe we could see how we could fathom. And the reality is that we can't do it in our own strength. That it is only in Christ that we can demonstrate this kind of grace. It's only in Christ that we can demonstrate this kind of love. And so I want to encourage you with just a few things today as we close. I want to encourage you to recognize where bitterness resides I want to encourage you to think about your life. We see all the things that had happened to Joseph, and here he is extending grace and mercy. I want you to think about and recognize where bitterness resides. You know, Scripture says that it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks, right, and that we, we can recognize that where this resides, and we ask God for his help in dealing with it. We want to recognize the bitterness that maybe we have, the unforgiveness that maybe we have been holding on to. 
And in those same moments, we want to remember that we have been forgiven. We want to remember the price that was paid. And thirdly, we want to redeem the opportunity to extend amazing grace. And it's not normal, and it's radically different. And it's a way of life that is different than anything looks like in our culture. And the reason that we do it, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, right? That we are people that are to be tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. We don't forgive because people deserve it. We forgive because we didn't deserve it and we experienced the grace of God. And there is maybe no greater way that we extend the grace of God and, and proclaim the gospel than when we forgive. We want to forgive quickly. Because the reality is that bitterness can take root. Bitterness is that poison that destroys. And I want to encourage you today. I don't know what situations may come to your mind, what circumstances that are there. And I'm sure there are things that we think about when we hear a message like this. And we say, you know what, there's, I just, I want to do that. But I, I, there's no way. I don't, I don't know that I can do that today. What, what if that person never comes and asks for Forgiveness, what do I do in that? And we see in Scripture, we don't see a, a call for us to go and chase them down and try to get them to, uh, to repent or to do those kind of things. But what we see in the Scriptures is a heart of forgiveness. We see a heart of forgiveness from Jesus on the cross where those that were, were the, the ones that had crucified him, where he looks at them and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. See, a heart of forgiveness it frees us. A heart of forgiveness that says, I am releasing this I. It's an attitude, a perspective, even before repentance that says, you know what? No matter what they do, I, I'm no longer going to be in bondage to this. No longer am I going to allow this to take up root because I've been forgiven. I will extend forgiveness. And the heart of forgiveness frees us. And the hands of forgiveness will free them. And the heart of forgiveness that we have becomes the hands of forgiveness when repentance takes place, when repentance becomes reality. And there are times in our life where we need to extend forgiveness. And there are times in our life where we need to seek repentance, where we need to come and seek forgiveness. But we see in this passage that Joseph was able, through the grace of God that had been extended in his life, through grace that allowed him to become part of a bigger story that he could forgive fully. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. See, forgiveness is an act of the will. And it's done in obedience to his will. Forgiveness is not simply something that's done out of emotion. I love the story of Corrie Ten Boom in 1947 after the war. She was in West Germany speaking on the subject of forgiveness. And when she had finished, there was a man in her audience who had been a prison guard in the concentration camp that she was in. The Spirit of God had convicted this man of his need for forgiveness, and he comes up to her, and when he approached, she remembered his face. 
It had been molded into her. It had been, it was the face of one who had brutalized her, of one who had humiliated her, of one that had hurt her in so deep of way. And now here he is coming with his hand extended for forgiveness. She said this, I froze. I, I knew what I ought to do, but I knew I could not do it. She said, it was like my hand was paralyzed. I could not reach out and take that man by the hand. She said, I cried out to God and said, oh, God, I can't forgive him. But, Lord, you can help me, God. And by an act of her will, she placed her hand in that man's hand. And she said, when I did that, my body became warm and my spirit was filled with light. As God Almighty did in her, through her, and for her, what humanly she could not do. And there's a reality that unforgiveness chains us to the past when we carry those things. But forgiveness in response to His grace is a key that frees us for the future. And by the power of the gospel, by the the cross of Christ, our painful past cannot become our persistent present reality. This pain that we have, and we have got to be people that say, you know what, I'm going to recognize that, and I'm going to deal with that. It may take counseling to help that. It may need a friend to walk with you. But in Christ, the painful scars of our past, the painful hurts of our past, can become painless scars of the present. Chapter 41 We see some words of Joseph as he named his firstborn son. Joseph named his firstborn son Manasseh, and he says for, he said, God made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. And I pray this morning that God might allow some of us to see the Manasseh, right? That that there may be people here that are tempted to try to get revenge on the Rubens, people that are, are trying to say, you know what, the Potiphar's wives that have wronged us, the people that have forgotten us, the things that are there, the pain is still there, and it is reality. But the, the truth is that we can't keep leaning into it. That the cross of Christ and the peace of God that it attains is a gift of grace that allows us to see the Manasseh, right? That all the things that were there, that it allows us to forget the pain in the past and the things that were there, the people that have betrayed us, the, 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 all those things. May God give us some Manassas that will allow us to forget. May He allow us to see the cross afresh and anew. And as an overflow of the grace that's been extended, may we extend His grace. You know, in Matthew 18, Peter comes up to Jesus, right, and said to him, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother who sinned against me? How often should that happen? Like seven times? I mean, that's like the perfect number, right? And Jesus responded, and he says, no, 70 times seven. And I don't think he intended for us to start counting them, but I think the actual intention was for us to not. To forget the the scorekeeping, to forget the records of wrong but to forgive freely as we have been forgiven. And I want to close in just a time of prayer. And maybe maybe just bow your head for just a moment with me. And the reality is that all true forgiveness begins with receiving forgiveness. And if you've never received forgiveness, then this is the time for you to do that. Jesus died so that we might be forgiven. He was forsaken so that we could be Forgiven. We can't earn forgiveness. We can't do anything that would cause us to deserve it. It's already been paid for. And truth is, all we can do is receive it. 
How do we receive that kind of forgiveness? We recognize our need for it, that we have sinned against a holy God. That it is us who is in desperate need of forgiveness. And we repent and confess our sins. Scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, he says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus will cleanse us and give us a new heart. We recognize the need. We repent and confess and we receive Jesus as Lord. That if you've never trusted Christ, you and in a moment can be free from the chains of your past, from the sin that so desperately and so so powerfully holds us in bondage and we can experience freedom in Christ. Scripture says that it was for freedom that Christ had set us free and we never go back to this yoke of bondage. If that's you, I want to invite you just to call on the name of the Lord to confess your sin to Him, to express your desire to be saved, to be forgiven and freed, and to thank Him. Maybe you're here, and you say, you know what, I've been saved, I've received forgiveness from Christ, but I've been holding on to bitterness in my life, and I just want you to pray for me. Maybe that's you. I want us just to bow our heads and and just go to the Lord in prayer, and Pastor Chris is going to come and give us a a few closing announcements. But let's pray together. Father, we come desperate for your grace. Lord, we, God, we look and see the condition of our own lives. Lord, the condition of this broken world that we live in, Lord. And we, God, we are desperately in need of the reconciling power of the gospel to be proclaimed in every place in our country, Lord, in every, God, in, to the ends of the earth, Lord, and you have, God, you have extended your grace, God, to us, and we have been forgiven, God, we have been reconciled, Lord, the wrath of God, Lord, that was due to us was poured out on Jesus in our place, and we have peace with God. And because of that, Lord, because of the wrath that was due us, Lord, was taken on. God was poured out on Jesus on the cross. We have been forgiven. Lord, if there's any that have never trusted you, God, I pray, Lord, even in these moments, Lord, they would call on your name, Lord, that they would confess their sin, Lord, that they would confess their need for forgiveness, Lord, and that you would save them, Lord, that you would change them from the inside out, Lord, that you would grant them God, just the the blessing, Lord, of experiencing your grace, Lord, and that they would receive it, Lord, that they would surrender their lives to you. Lord, if there are those that are holding on, God, to hurts in the past, and Lord, have no idea how in the world that they can let go of those things, or God, I pray, Lord, that they could see the cross afresh in you, Lord, God, the chastisement, the punishment, the wrath of God, Lord, that was poured out on Jesus, Lord, that I deserved. God, I pray, Lord, that we could, God, we could feel and experience and, God, see the grace that was extended through the cross of Christ, Lord, and that it might be fuel. God, knowing that we are part of a bigger story, God, where you are working to reconcile us to you. And, God, may we declare the gospel, Lord, in the way that we forgive, in the way that we love. Lord, may you, 
God, not in our own strength, Lord, but in the power of your spirit that lives within us, Lord. God, may you give us grace that we, God, could overflow, Lord, into the lives of people around us, Lord. God, help us to be declares of the gospel in the love that we share, in the forgiveness that we extend, Lord, in the grace that we overflow. God, as our cup runs over, Lord, in gratitude, Lord, thank you for the cross. Lord, we love you. We surrender our fears, our hurts, God, all the things that hold us back. Lord, we lay them at the feet of the cross, God, where, where everything is level. And God, we declare that you alone are righteous, that you alone are good, and you alone are worthy of our praise our allegiance. God, we thank you for the gospel, Lord. Help us live it. Help our love not be with hypocrisy, Lord, but in action. God, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.